Today we're starting a sermon series, but more than a sermon series, we're starting a, an understanding, a vision in the church, a call just one. And the, the title of the sermon today is, Can I Do Anything? You know, when people come and uh, walk into your house and you know, you've invited them for dinner and then they come and they go, can I do anything? And usually the answer is, no, just sit and relax. But I felt like we're coming back into a season where more and more people are starting to come back to church, where the numbers are going up, children's ministry is growing again. You know, we're finding more and more people. We've had to go to two services to accommodate everybody. And more and more people are coming back. And what I wanted to do in this moment of time, when people come back to the services after not being with us for a while, and they ask, can I do anything? I wanted to have a really clear, succinct answer for them. And so today I've come with a reminder and a vision. And I hope that your heart will be stirred by both. I wanna remind us that the most basic and clearly stated truth of the gospel is that you and I uh, need to love one another and then I wanna give us a practical vision that's perfectly aligned with the, the vision that Jesus gave the church. But just before we get to those, Let's just make sure we're on the same page. I wanna talk about the Lord and his nature. I wanna find uh, this commonality to this idea about who God is. He is the one who leaves 99 for one. Leaving 99 for one, that's fundamentally built into who he is. So let's go to Matthew 18. I just wanna talk about this a little briefly and then we're gonna get into some detail. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's a great question. That's the context of the answer. Don't forget the context. He called the little child and he placed him among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Be careful what you do to the one. Jesus oftentimes equated what you do with one with, that you did it with me. If you fed that one, you fed me. If you visited that one in prison, you visited me. If you were kind to that one, you did it to me. Who the ones in your life are important and are being watched by the Lord. Verse 12, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. Now these verses create clear lines. It's like a watershed message because the sheep, to sheep who've wandered off, this is, like, this is like music to our ears, right? If you've ever wandered off and you hear this message, you go, oh, I'm so grateful that the Lord, but to the, 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 the prodigals, let's say, who hear it, and they're gonna love this message. Those who know they missed the mark, they failed the test, they disappointed themselves, their family or their God, and they're gonna find great hope. Like, wow, how kind is the Lord. But if you're part of the 99, if you think you're part of the 99, or you don't consider yourself the prodigal, you're the older brother, then you don't probably like this scripture. Because you go, well, what, what about the 99? It's a bit reckless. The people who secretly believe that it's their own integrity or their own faithfulness or their own diligence that earned them a place in God's affections, 
And they are immediately gonna seek to add provisos and limitations to what the text speaks about in the scripture. But if you're part of the 99, celebrate the kindness of God. Because if you ever get lost, you may come to cherish this part of the nature of God. So those of us who've got lost in our lives, we go, man, I, I really love this. As Jesus said, the woman who was forgiven much, loved much. And so it's the people who, who tend to be a little bit self-righteous, a little bit like, no, I've, I've, I've kept all the commandments since I was a little boy or a little girl. And you go, well, that's wonderful for you. Let me just tell you about the God who seeks the, the, the 99, he leaves the 99 and seeks the one. So we often think, so you know, the, the legalists basically are gonna be irritated by the father who walks out and stands and stares at the horizon, hoping to catch a glimpse of a prodigal coming home. That irritates legalists, right? What are you doing looking for him again? He dishonored you, he stole your money, he walked away, let him be. And the father's going, shh, shh, shh. is that maybe him there? So we often think from a human perspective that even if the prodigal comes home, if you're the prodigal and you come home and you, you, you're coming from a terrible place or a stained background and then you, 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 you walk and you, you come close to God but you're kind of hiding because you're scared that he's gonna, he's gonna get a violent reaction to you and then you become aware that he's aware of and he's seen you out of the corner of his eye but he keeps looking down and, and so you kind of skulk up and wait and then he does all his other business and when, when he's talked to everybody else and he looks at you but when he looks at you, he's a little bit ticked with you. Like that's, that's how religion presents. If you're gonna come back to God, by golly, you better skulk back in because that's how he's gonna do it. But this is not what the scripture says. Go with me to Luke 15. When Jesus is talking about the parable of the prodigal son, he said, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How did his father see him from a long way off? Meant his father was looking for him. And his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. That never happened in Jewish culture. You never ran towards a sinner. A, a father never ran towards a son who had dishonored him. It was enough for the son to be alive that the father hadn't stoned him. But this father ran towards his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And God sees us coming in the distance through the crowd. And when he does, he jumps up and he runs through the crowd laughing out loud with open arms, God makes a scene. And his laughter and his tears and his shouts of joy draw the attention and he interrupts our litany of sorrow and pain with shouts of joy and acceptance. Praise God that he's like this. Praise God that he's like this. Because it means, friends, that the moment you turn to the Father, the moment your heart turns in repentance, the moment you go, Lord, forgive me, your Father comes running to grab you and scoop you up in his arms. I'm so very glad the Lord came looking for me. And that he made me more than one offer. And that his persistent love broke through in my life. I'm so glad and grateful because he continues to work with me in that way. Jesus said, come to me because I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. That's still true today for me. So the nature of our God is that he came to seek and to save what was lost. He goes after the one. He keeps looking for the one who's coming home. 
Now, although he never leaves us and forsakes us, his heart is for wandering sheep and his eyes are looking for prodigals and those always move him. Wandering sheep and prodigals coming home move the heart of God. And if we get that, let's talk about some of the people who need to be coming back to the church, asking, can I do anything? So that's the question, I'm coming back. I'm coming out of COVID, we're emerging. We're coming out of this fog that has grabbed the world for the last year. We're, we're, we're breaking out, we're, we're seeing the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an approaching train. We think we can get out of this thing. I'm coming back, what can I do? I'm glad you asked the question. I've been ministering some churches around the country this COVID has been a great revealer. It has is, is gone and revealed what was in the, in the hearts of people. And some people were with the churches and some people were never with the churches and COVID has just revealed that. And, and it's gone after underlying weaknesses. And so some churches are struggling and in my process of helping, talking through with the pastors what they should do and what they could do, I, I've had a cause to go in my heart a few times to say, you know, you, you, need, a, you need a better vision. You, you need to give your people something that they can sink their teeth into and get behind. And, and then I came home and I thought, what, what are we doing to people who are coming back from COVID? What is the vision we're giving them? And so I just wanted to say, I, I, something began to stir in, in our hearts and I began to um, call on the Lord. And we had an elders meeting um, um, over a month ago. And um, as is usual, we start the elders meetings with just waiting on the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to us? And we had this real strong, clear, prophetic flow the Lord began to speak about a future that's coming to our church, about souls being saved, about growth coming, and about uh, the speed with which that's gonna happen and our need to be prepared, our need to get ready for the things that he's promised. And I absolutely love this way of living, that we live according to what the Lord is saying, not according to what we're currently seeing. I absolutely love this, and this is the way we govern the church. And so the Lord has been absolutely clear, souls, are coming. I believe with all my heart that God has a whole batch of new babies that are to be born in the kingdom and he's looking for a church that would be good maternity ward. Because if you're gonna have a baby, uh, you, you may stop at the, at the Peachtree Med Center down the road if your wife's about to have the baby, but that's not the preferred place you're gonna have the baby. You go to a hospital that's known as the best maternity ward. And if God's gonna bring thousands of people into the kingdom, he's looking for places where we'll be good at looking after them. Can I get an amen? amen? And so if God wants to get people saved, he's looking for people who will preach because the Bible says, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody goes? And how can they go unless somebody sends them? So God's looking for a church that go, Lord, we're on board. What can I do? Two things, here comes the reminder. This is the reminder, this is not the vision. Live a life of love. Amen. Ephesians five, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you. You owe me a debt of love. Just wanna let you know. <laughs> you owe me and I owe you. Because the scripture says that our debt continues it's a continual debt to love. And this debt 
this constant need for you and me to walk in love, to live in the way of love, this is so important. And the reason I'm, I'm putting this reminder before we get into the vision of winning and discipling just one, before we get to that vision, we have to remind ourselves that we have to walk in love. Because if I get up and preach the gospel, but I do not love, I'm just a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal. And far too many people have preached the elements of the gospel, but have demonstrated no love. And they've put people off. They haven't blessed the people. People are not coming into the kingdom, but they're standing back from the gospel because when we hear it, 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 it's not through a veil of tears. It's not through a passionate heart of love for the people that we're ministering to. Paul said, I now say again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And I'm gonna say, if you wanna preach that message, let it be through tears. Too often that message about where people are falling short, it comes with judgment and criticism. We preach like Jonah who didn't want to be in Nineveh. He didn't like the message that God might forgive them. He didn't want to be there. Go like, God's going to get you, you ugly things, and I hope he does. Check, I preach the gospel. No. Let no debt remain outstanding, Romans 13 says, except the continuing debt to love one another. What does this mean? How far does this go? What does this entail, Greg? Well, Corinthians 13, patience and kindness, not envious, not boastful, not proud, not dishonoring others. Can I just, okay, church. Not dishonoring others. I have no problem with your passion. I have no problem with people's convictions. I have some very powerful ones of my own, but I cannot maintain my conviction and dishonor other people and say I'm walking in the gospel. Not self-seeking, not easily angered, keep no record of wrongs. I just, get an, I, I just get happy when I preach the gospel. Love does not delight in evil. Rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's what Paul said. Peter said, now that you've obeyed the truth so that you have a sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter. What John said in 1 John, so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God. This is, this is Jesus, this is Peter, this is Paul, this is James, this is John. Everybody, everywhere in the scripture says, listen guys, if you wanna walk, if you wanna live in God, if you wanna be about the king's business, love has to be a predominant value of your life. We have to demonstrate this. We have to love people. And it's the strangest thing for the last six months, Michelle and I, if we go out anywhere, if we go to a restaurant, you know what, we've, we started to just engage with the person who serves us and we treat them well. We have fun with them. We ask what we can pray for. And you know what's happened every single time we say, we're, you know, we're, we're just gonna pray for our food. Is there something we can pray for you for? Every single time they go, oh, Wow, thank you, yeah. And it's like, it's the easiest thing on the planet because it didn't start with judgment. It starts with open-heartedness towards them. It means we have to tip well as well at the end of it. 
Because I don't want to, right? I don't want to preach the gospel and then be stingy. Like, what? What was that? We're supposed to proclaim good news. Good news. The gospel that we're proclaiming, the gospel of God's grace, His absolute love, His overwhelming kindness, that gospel, good news to sinners is that Jesus has broken the power of sin. You don't have to carry it anymore. The good news to those in need of healing is Jesus can heal you. The good news of those who lack is Jesus can provide. The good news to those who are orphans is you have a father. Come on. It's time to preach good news. Our job is not to put on the sheriff badge and go running around pointing out other people's sins. So this is the reminder. Love people. It's amazing what happens when people sense your love. If they sense judgment, they're going to shut their ears. It's just like you would. But if we start, if we lead, if we walk and live in love, they're far more likely to hear the gospel that we preach. So the reminder is, guys, let's live in love. There are some things that need to be said. There are some things we don't agree with. Let's do it in a loving way. I have no problem with standards. I have no problem with saying, no, this is consistent with the gospel. No problem. Just let's love people. Because you know the truth is, you and I were far away from God. And it wasn't because of our abilities and it wasn't because of our actions. It wasn't through any action that we did, as, as we, we spoke last week. It wasn't through any virtue of our own that Jesus saved us. And there are people out there that Jesus loves. And God, we said, remember, his eye is on the one. And some of those ones are in your life. And his eye's on them. And you're close. So number two, this is the vision part. Make a disciple of just one. If you're coming back to Northlands now at this time and in this moment of our life and you're asking the question, can I do anything? The answer is squarely in the bullseye of Jesus' commission. What is our vision for every member? I'm gonna ask you to go and make a disciple of just one person this year. What's the vision for your life? Make a disciple of just one this year. It's not even hard. And you know, some people are sitting here and going, why just one? Why indeed? But I want something that you'd remember. I wanted something that would stick in our hearts as a church. What's the vision? Just one. Win and disciple one person this year. But Craig, I've never done that before. Oh, I'm telling you, once you get, it, once you get a taste for it, once you see the power of the gospel, blow the sin's power off somebody's life, transform their whole life, bring peace, secure hope, change their whole life. It's addictive. You go, let's do that again, Lord. Some, it's gonna be just one this year. Some, it's gonna be just one this month. Some, it's just one this week. But the actual promise of the Lord is that souls will be saved on a daily basis. So one today. Are you gonna be able to do this in your own skin with your own crowd to the people who think like you? And that's okay. 
But this is fundamentally what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18. It's the Great Commission. Everybody knows it. You've heard a hundred sermons on it, but Jesus said, all authority on, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. So the church's role is, I believe, to transform society, to disciple nations, as Jesus said. But the way the church does that is through the proclamation of good news. The church doesn't do that by being obnoxious. The gospel must be central to what we engage with. We proclaim the good news. We proclaim the good news of God's grace. We don't turn around to another gospel. We, we, we see society transformed when people believe the good news and the good news is the, is the thing that has the power to unlock and transform their lives. This nation will change because the power of God will transform people's lives. So our job is not to try and dictate the behavior of unsafe people. Our job is to proclaim the good news. The goal is not to get unsafe people to adhere to our moral code. The goal is to make disciples. You want to see society change? You know, you know um, Charles Finney in the time of the Great Awakening, he had such a presence of God on him, such a glory of God on him. It's recorded. He'd get on a train. He'd be driving. The train would be going through places. People would fall down next to the tracks in the cities he went through. The conviction of God, the glory of God, so rested on him that the, that people fell out in the cities he went through for about a mile distant from him. They would sense the glory of God. Whole classrooms would go out under the power of God. Thousands of people. There was a study, I think, in upstate New York. In, in one nine-month period, over 100,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. And 10 years later, over 85% of those were leaders in churches. They'll change society. Oh, we want to change America. This is the way to do it. This right here. Keep the gospel central. Preach the good news of Jesus. Tell people about his power. Tell them about how he can save them. And when people believe the good news, it will radically alter and transform their lives. That's how we change our nation. Acts 15, at, at, at the Jerusalem Council, this is what they said. Why do you try to test God by putting on these Gentiles a yoke that neither I nor we or our ancestors were able to handle? Because there were some legalists there going, oh, no, we have to, before you can believe, you have to thus and so, and you have to do this, and you have to be this, and you have to wash your hands like this, and you have to be circumcised like that, and you have to attend that form, and you have to go to that thing. And they said, listen, time out. Time out. Neither we nor our ancestors ever got that right. Why are we trying to put it on these people? Unfortunately, there have been too many key Christian leaders for too long a period who have proven that they haven't got it right for us to make other people's moral code the primary part of what we preach. I'm not saying you can run out and do anything. I'm saying live a godly, holy life. That's a clear expectation of scriptures. What I am saying, that's not the primary message we're called to preach. We're called to preach the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God came in the flesh, died a substitutionary death, paid for your sins so that if you believe in him, he can wash it all away and you can become brand new. Let's preach that gospel. My vision, and I'm hoping it's yours too now, is to win and disciple just one person this year. You see a chance for that? Do you think that's possible for you? Because I'm going to tell you that's an easy thing for you and the Lord together. Just one. See, you and I were called to be fruitful. We're supposed to lead people to Jesus. Scripture says, he who wins souls is wise. You were born to lead and disciple people to Jesus. Part of your calling, it's part of every person's destiny. It's God's dream for you to see the power of the gospel change lives. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation for everybody who believes. That's exactly what Paul said. It's exactly still true right now. Now, the easier thing for us to do is to relegate this responsibility to the evangelists among us. And I just want to say praise God for the evangelists. Thank God for you. But our destinies, each one individually, the good works that God prepared for us in advance that we should walk in includes other people's salvations. I guarantee you, it is God's dream for you that in eternity, some people are gonna run up and just high five you and hug you and say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. I guarantee you, that's in the dream of God for every single person in the room. For some of us, it's gonna be a crowd. (laughs) Praise God. So there are some people around you right now that God has got his eye on. There are some ones that God is ready to leave everything for and go after. And if you're standing near them, you need to be aware and alert and eager. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to be loving and gracious and I want you to preach the gospel. That has power to transform and it's a message that draws the anointing and the glory of God. You wanna see the glory of God show up? Preach the gospel. Because the Lord confirmed his word with signs that followed. You know what draws miracles? You know what draws signs? Proclamation of the gospel. Go and tell somebody. I dare you to tell somebody, God will come through for you. God, if I say that, maybe God doesn't. I dare you to preach the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus provides, Jesus guides, preach it. Because anybody who believes that will find God faithful and he'll transform their lives. Because if we step away from this, friends, listen to this, if we step away from this part of our calling, then the kingdom stops growing. And then we just become managers of sheep movements. From this church, group of sheep go from this church to that church. This this church grew. No, well the kingdom didn't grow a bit. We just shuffled sheep. I don't wanna be a sheep shuffler. Well, they have a better youth hall at that church. Yeah, they have great children's ministry over there. Mm -hmm. Their men's groups are fantastic, good. 
He preaches really well. But they have the best worship. <laughs> I'm interested in prodigals coming home. I'm interested in dead people coming to life. I'm interested in finding the one that wandered off. Won't you join me? Join me. Can I do anything? Yeah. Just one. Take it in your heart. Make it an issue of prayer. Become alert. Become aware. Start looking around. Say, Lord, give me one. And when, and when you want to disciple that one, say, give me another one. See, see, Jesus still deals with us one by one. Just one. Can I do anything? Just one. Take it. Own it. Win and disciple one this year. Matthew 10. Jesus said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, you can buy two sparrows for one cent. He said, but not one of those sparrows falls to the ground, but my father doesn't see it. Not one. Not even a one sparrow. He said, God notices that one, and it was worth half a cent. And he said, you, and by the way, everybody you know is worth so much more. How much more the father's eye on them and on you. It's not necessary that the people you preach the gospel to are like you, or think like you, or act like you. It's necessary that we preach this gospel. Because the eye of our Father is still on the one. And if you have your heart open, he's gonna call you to work with him to win them. So Greg, why now? Why, why are we doing this now? This has always been the, the Great Commission. Why the big focus now? Because right now, many people are coming back to church. And believers are asking, what do you want me to do? Where do I fit in? What do you want? Can I do anything? Yeah. Because now is a good time. But also because we've had a year of separation, of seclusion, and of fear for many people. And many of those people are looking for real love, true solutions, great community, life change. It's a season. We have an opportunity. Jesus said, look up. The fields are ready for harvest. Why now? Because this is a moment. Let's not miss this moment. And if we'll catch the next six, six to 12 months of this moment in our nation and we preach this gospel, we'll start a momentum that just begins to grow and to build. And the kingdom of God will grow. And the best option for our country is that the church lovingly preaches the gospel. So for you and I, this vision in answer to the one question, can I do anything? Make up your mind to win and disciple just one. All morning I've been kind of almost just broken by the fact that the Father came looking for me. 
You know, something that's been on my spirit all week, Paul said, this is a faithful saying. This is trustworthy. You can take this to the bank. This is a trustworthy saying. Listen. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I was the worst. And I've been thinking about that all week because Paul, in other places, just said, I'm no longer a sinner, I'm a saint. And I'm going, Paul, why would you make that a trustworthy saying? Saying that I was the worst of sinners. And you know why I think Paul said this is trustworthy? Because Paul knew that the, the dangerous poison of legalism will get you to a place where you were bereft and broken and dead in your sin and rebelling against God and he saved you and he poured his grace into your life and you became brand new and then you got involved and slowly but surely you stepped away from grace and you became more and more legalistic and now you've forgotten what a terrible person you were. Now you think it's because of your goodness. That's why God did it. And so now you're out there judging and not preaching grace. And Paul did this, I think, to teach us all, to remind us all, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, by the way, remember you? Remember where you were? Remember how rebellious you were? How stubborn you were? How gross you were? Yeah. Remember he saved you? Yeah. Go after the other ones. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you came after me, Lord. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you left 99 and came and found me. I'm so grateful, Father, that you're still the Father who stares at horizons for returning prodigals. And we just want to say, Lord, thank you. But Lord, I'm praying for each one of us, every single person in this room, that you'd give us just one. And just one after that. To win and disciple in this year. In Jesus' name. Amen.